Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So some days we start the show making a really big point, or at least what I think of as a big point. And every now and then, it's the opposite of that, right? It's just kind of a small point, just sort of a little thing to kind of file away in your mind. And this may be a little bit more of an example of that here today. Kind of a small point just to keep in mind, just to remember, because there has been a question out there from some Georgia fans as of late of, you know, this month of June for Georgia, which has been so busy in terms of hosting visitors, yet it hasn't yet really produced the kind of commits that Georgia fans, I think, maybe thought they might get. Now, they obviously have their eye towards July, and on this show we do as well, when guys like Kojo Antwee, we talk, talked about yesterday, and Branson Robinson, when they'll make their commitment decision. But thus far, you, you know, you haven't seen Georgia get the kind of commits here this month that maybe some other programs have had. Florida has gotten a lot of commits, for instance. I think they've, you know, had, what, had three in the last week alone, you know, <laughs> varying degrees of pedigree uh, for those uh, recruits. But nonetheless, you know, they've taken a few commits as of late. Georgia really hasn't quite done as much of that. But here is the like, sort of small point just to sort of file away here for a little bit to be remembered later on. That there is really good work, I believe, going on at Georgia here over the course of this month. And here's the way I'd sort of say it. That here at Dog Nation World Headquarters Studios, every now and then I'll kind of leave the friendly confines of this building and go off and get some lunch somewhere. And I have to kind of walk through a shopping mall to get there. And there's this thing that I've been noticing as of late. Listen, I'm not making fun of mitigations against the coronavirus because that's obviously a very important thing to do. Uh, but there are sometimes ways in which some of the stuff sort of feels like it's been taken too far to me. Like you walk through a shopping mall and you see these stores that are essentially empty. And yet there's a like security guard at the front not letting more people in. It's like two people standing in line. It's not like there's a thousand people trying to rush the door here. This isn't like, you know, Studio 54 or something like that. It's just an empty store, security guard standing there, only letting like a couple people in line. But there's only like two people in line to go into a store that's essentially empty after that. And at this point in time, you know, given the fact that so many people are vaccinated and everything else, you sort of wonder, is that mitigation effort really all that necessary here now? But obviously it would seem like there's almost sort of a byproduct to all of this, that when it's a business or something like that, it's kind of nice to look busy, right? It's kind of nice to think that you might have a line of people waiting to get into your store that just kind of looks good for your store. The same thing's true for a restaurant as well, right? It's like if you go to a restaurant and, you know, some, a lot of folks are traveling, you know, this time of year and they're, you know, at places they're not quite familiar. And if you want to give a restaurant a try, if you drive to that restaurant, you show up. And if the parking lot looks empty, I don't care what the, you know, the, whatever website you go to for for reviews the ultimate review the thing that may matter more than anything else is if you don't see anybody there you start to wonder wait is this really a restaurant i want to eat at if nobody else is eating here either and plus you know just on the the most basic level there's also this thing of we kind of understand this on our own jobs that you know some days are busier than others but it's always kind of nice to be seen looking busy it's always kind of nice to look like you've got a lot going on there is some value in looking busy and i think with georgia and its recruiting efforts right now here in the month of June, you see a lot of this playing out. That the kind of busy vibe that George is giving off this month, 
I think will pay dividends and, and and really pay off very well in the months to come, no matter how many of the guys that have kind of been kind of cycling in over the course of the last few days, no matter how many of those guys end up choosing Georgia, the fact that so many big names are kind of popping in, having those photos being shared while they're at Georgia, it just kind of creates the sort of busy, exclusive club vibe that you want to create around Georgia football. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Let me show you Christian Miller here, a big-time defensive line prospect, Cedar Grove High School, one of the top programs in the Atlanta area. He shows off pictures on social media of a recent visit there to Georgia. Now, first of all, let me say this, that if you're watching a video and if you're a uh, podcast only, I apologize. This kind of background with sort of like the red hue is something that Georgia and a lot of these other schools have done for a while. But this new like laser effect, th- that is a fantastic looking image uh, there for those photos. Very creative there for Georgia. Really good looking picture uh, for Kristen Miller. Good job by Georgia kind of getting that done. But this is an example of a guy who was you know taking a visit to Ohio State as of late. Uh, you know Miller's been linked to a lot of schools. You sort of you know left to wonder where Georgia fits in on all of this. Can I tell you with certainty where Kristen Miller is going to go to school? Uh, where he's going to sign as a part of the class of 2022? I honestly cannot. I I, I don't really know that, but. But it's a good thing that he's at Georgia. It's a good thing that he's sharing off those, you know, sharing on social media those photos of him being at UGA. It just kind of adds to the to the you know the growing branding, you know, image that Georgia's trying to project to the rest of the country. There, I think that's a really nice thing to see. To say nothing of the fact that as Jeff Sintel has recently written there at DogNation.com, one of Miller's high school teammates, uh, Carlton Madden Jr., has also recently earned a uh, offer from Georgia. Cedar Grove, as I said before, has really been kind of a hotbed of talent now for a for a number of years that it's just kind of nice to be seen sort of connected to programs like that another example is is luther burden who many of you know is a five-star wide receiver and a commit to oklahoma oklahoma does really well when these when when it comes to these elite high-level wide receivers but burden has recently showed off some photos of him being at uga my understanding is it's a multi-day visit for a burden there to the dogs i have absolutely no idea how real anything like that might be that's not really a name we've spoken about very much in terms of being connected to UJ and all of this but it's never a bad thing to have a five-star wide receiver on your campus once again it kind of creates that vibe you're looking to create the line outside the store looking to get in the crowded parking lot and a restaurant of folks who have kind of validated the value of that spot you know guys like Luther Burton showing off a bunch of photos being at Georgia that just kind of makes Georgia look like the place to be, whether Luther Burden ends up going to UGA or not. There's also a story up at dognation.com right now of Arch Manning. Manning, another one of those sort of like huge big name guys, certainly from a last name standpoint, as big as it can possibly get. Obviously, the son of Cooper Manning and the nephew of Peyton and Eli, grandson of of uh, 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 Archie Manning. That You've got Arch Manning now uh, taking a visit there to Georgia. Certainly, it's way too early to know I guess where Manning is leaning all the way around but you know you wouldn't necessarily think that George is necessarily the favorite for Arch Manning but once again it just sort of looks good to have him on campus so the bottom line of all this is this is a small thing not a big point but it's a point worth remembering that as Georgia hosts the biggest of the big names, class of 2022, class of 2023, I think it only further cements the idea that Georgia just kind of looks like sort of the hip place to be, the place that the biggest names want to be. And some of these guys are obviously going to, you know, Burden may stick with his Oklahoma commitment and whoever else may you know, end up, you know, gravitating towards somewhere else by the time the signing uh, day 
comes and goes, but for now, the activity that Georgia's involved with, the big-name recruits that Georgia brings in for these unofficial and, in some case, official visits, it just gives off the right vibe for the program. And that vibe, I believe, before it's all said and done, has a chance to really pay off for UGA's recruiting efforts. By the way, we'll have Jeff Sintel on the show tomorrow. We'll talk to him more about that. It's Dog Nation Daily for today, though. The daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And great to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. from the radio. Uh, looking forward to being with our friends in Athens Sports Radio 960. The Ref here very, very soon. And, of course, podcast-wise, the Apple Player, the Google Player, WorldFamousDogNation.com. Bunch of ways for you to get involved with the program. We just really appreciate you doing all of that. And a big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp for making it all possible. You know, they are your source for Georgia Divorce. You can find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. When I say your source for Georgia Divorce, you'd be fair to ask what that really means. You know, you know, what is that all about? To me, it simply comes down to this. It's about understanding all the intricacies of the uh, divorce law procedure. Because let's face it, there are you know, all kinds of facets to that. There's a lot to know, a lot to understand. Meriwether and Tharp sort of gets all of it. And they want to put that to work for you. That means that if you find yourself in a situation where divorce is the next step, obviously you want to take that step as well as you possibly can. You want to set yourself up now for the next season of your life to be as enjoyable as possible. So when it comes to all the things that can be impacted by divorce, finances and relationship with children and everything like that, Meriwether and Tharp understands all that. They're going to feel what you feel with you and they're going to work alongside you to put it all back together and make it be the way that it's supposed to be. So please find them online. Take the step of having that initial consultation and then put them to work for you. They'll be tireless worker for you. They'll fight for you when need be. They'll advise you when, you, when, when that's what's needed. They'll just do whatever it takes to get it done for you. It's the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. That's the website. That'll get you in touch with Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia Divorce. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes' time, We'll talk to our buddy Terrence Edwards, the great former Georgia wide receiver. A lot to speak to Terrence about today when it comes to the wide receiver situation. Before that, they want to go around the doghouse. And there is obviously a big level of anticipation for Georgia and Clemson, the season opener for week one. We get all of that. We've talked about a lot of that. And the one thing that we saw on the show, I think it was last week while I was on vacation, was there's also kind of an interesting scenario at play for Georgia where it is possible. It's not inconceivable that Georgia could beat Clemson week one. Clemson runs the table after that, wins the ACC, and then Georgia might be in a position where they have to beat Clemson again in the college football playoff because I don't think the committee would shy away from a rematch if these two teams played a very good game in week one, bookending the end of the season with another matchup between the two teams would probably make some sense. I also talked about how Georgia might could be in a position where they also have to beat Alabama twice uh, this year as well. It's just kind of a unique scheduling scenario facing Georgia when it comes to when it comes to all of that. But to put that aside here for a moment, the 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 difference between Georgia and Clemson, I believe, is actually fairly stark based on what happens after this game takes place week one. And a guy that kind of brought this to mind for me was a guy named Brad Crawford from 24-7 Sports, who recently writing about uh, Clemson calling it really one of the most manageable schedules in the country for the upcoming season, obviously after you get past the Georgia game uh, in week one, where Clemson right now is about a three, three and a half point favorite, depending on which sports book you're looking at. Uh, this is what Brad Crawford writes from 24-7 Sports. I want to read this just briefly. He says, go ahead and grab the Sharpie and Mark Dabo Swinney's team back in the college football playoff. 
with all 11 starters back defensively and a rising sophomore quarterback. Uh, offensive coordinator Tony Elliott and the rest of the staff feels confident in the Tigers won't suffer any drop-off thanks to a schedule free of landmines. Clemson's toughest game comes in the opener versus Georgia, a preseason top 10 opponent most likely, but even with a loss there, the Tigers will still be favored by double digits in just about every game prior to the ACC championship appearance. And then he goes on to say they may be even favored as much as 20 points in, in most of those games there as well. And look, we've said before on this show that obviously Georgia, in comparison to what they may be forced to face in some years, actually has a fairly manageable schedule as well. But it is nowhere near as manageable as what Clemson describes there. It's just not. And you think about going on the road to Auburn, there's actually kind of a wide range of opinions about how much of a favorite Georgia is against Auburn. They are a fairly significant favorite on the road, but we're talking like the single-digit variety here. It's the kind of game, under the right circumstances, Georgia could lose. The same thing about the Georgia-Florida game there as well. We've seen Georgia kind of favored in that sort of seven, eight-point range against Florida right now. But that's not really a uh, that's not an unlosable game. To, so it's a double negative. That's not an unlosable game, you know. There for UGA, there's at least a little bit of danger connected to that. That's the kind of thing that Clemson doesn't really have, you know, at its at its disposal. That's not the kind of thing that Clemson can say. Most of the games they'll play after that against teams like UConn and then uh, uh, South Carolina, Boston, you know, you know, teams like that. That's just the kind of thing that uh, that, that Clemson's going to find a whole lot more manageable than what Georgia has. So, what does that mean? What do you do with all of this? Well, the the one thing that we have kind of said here is is that I think the overall understanding of the Georgia Clemson game is probably a little bit different than some people assume. It has been sort of suggested that, well, this game's a great matchup between two teams that could win the national championship, but ultimately the stakes for the game might not exactly be all that high. And I've told you over and over again, I just don't quite believe that's true. Because if you're a Clemson team and you lose this game to Georgia week one, knowing that you're favored to win all the rest of your games – and, you know, clearly have a path back to the ACC championship, it may seem like, as the writer from 24-7 Sports said, you can, you know, write this in with a Sharpie that Clemson's back in the college football playoff. Maybe so, but you better hope there's no debate to be had anywhere else. You better hope that there isn't a Pac-12 team this year between, like, say, Oregon or some people who, who kind of believe in USC. You better hope a team like that doesn't truly emerge as a side-by-side -side comparison because all of a sudden you don't, have much of, you don't have much in the way of a data point to argue for you. Clemson's had a fairly easy run in the playoff the last few years in terms of getting there because uh you know kind of an undefeated mark or an ACC championship was enough to hold up in a comparison against anybody else because the Pac-12 for the most part wasn't producing a playoff caliber team if you're Clemson you lose to Georgia week one you better hope that remains true to say nothing of the you know the potential rise of a big 12 team like an Oklahoma or I guess if you want to take Iowa State seriously or something like that I think the flip side is also potentially true a little bit on the Georgia side on this too because as we've said before Georgia could lose to Clemson, still win the SEC, and make the college football playoff. We've never seen the SEC champion excluded from the college football playoff since the entity's been in existence going back to 2014. But once again, you better be really, really careful here. I mean, there is something to be said for tossing out all of your margin for error in week one. That's the kind of thing that will make the collar a little tighter as you go on to play the uh, rest of the 2021 season. So sort of worth keeping in mind. Yes, as the writer from 24-7 Sports suggests, the path for Clemson after that week one game is as easy as anybody in the country, certainly a little easier than what Georgia faces. But the stakes of the Georgia-Clemson game, I think, remain really high. It's obviously much easier for the winner to make the college football playoff. The loser can still make it. 
But boy, the margin for error really given away there at the very beginning of the season. At least worth paying a little bit of attention to. That is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Tharp. Before we're done, speaking of playoff and playoff expansion, there's an update to give you on that. There's a big name from the 2023 class that's mentioned Georgia now as one of his finalists. We will cover all of that before we're done. But... As you've come to expect here on Thursdays, and always a ton of fun to be able to do. Let's talk to our buddy Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, still Terrence Edwards here. Always great to have him on the program. His insight always incredibly valuable to us here. And Terrence, I want to start with this for a moment. You know, yesterday we talked on the show about Kojo Antwi, terrific wide receiver for the class of 2022. And Kojo told Jeff, I thought something was really interesting, that when he, you know, recently took a visit to Georgia and, you know, he enjoyed his time there and obviously had a great time with all of that. But he also said that he came away, and I'm trying to use the exact words that he used, that Georgia made it clear that they were going to throw the ball more this year. And what I've said before is when recruits are saying that, I really kind of perk up and listen to that because they get a chance to see more of the program than I'm ever going to get a chance to see as a media person or a fan would be able to see, that apparently Kojo Antwi really believes there is truly kind of an offensive evolution taking place at UGA I mean how much do you buy into that as well Terrence that what Kojo says that he's been told by Georgia coaches and what obviously fans hope is true really is the case and that this offense in 2021 will be different than maybe it's been the last couple of years for the dogs um you know you you always could go by what people say you can only take people at their word but I like action if you just think about the four games that JT Daniels started last year he they, we threw for 400 yards. So that's the proof to me that they're going to try to open it up more. I think they believe in JT and put the ball in his hands. And, you know, the one game that we, we did rush for like 300 yards, I, you know, as a receiver, you got to continue to run the ball when you rush for 300 yards. You shouldn't throw it. So uh, the evidence is there that the four games that he started, he threw for 400 yards. So that leads me to believe that they're going to throw the ball more. Yeah, I think that you're bringing up a lot of good points, and I agree with your point about the South Carolina game because of the games that Daniel started a year ago, that was the one game they really didn't throw it. But as you said, if you go back and look at the numbers, Georgia ran the ball that day for nearly 10 yards a clip. There aren't very many teams in the country that throw the ball for 10 yards per you know play, uh, but that's what Georgia was rushing the ball for. So pretty clearly, Georgia saw something on film from a pretty depleted South Carolina team. If memory serves, you had guys like, I think Kingsley Ngabari was out that. You, you had some defensive linemen who were kind of out for, for South Carolina that may have contributed to that. Georgia just saw the chance to get an easy win, and you don't turn down an easy win on the road in SEC play. So maybe in terms of your evaluation of JT Daniels, you throw that South Carolina game sort of out and look at the other games there. And as you said, and we've said this in the show before, that to me, if you want to kind of speak about JT Daniels as kind of a known commodity, the fact that Todd Munkin, having watched him practice, Todd Munkin having been in meeting rooms with JT Daniels and knowing what he was ready to do, the fact that from the word go – against Mississippi State and against Missouri and certainly a bowl game against Cincinnati, the fact they were willing to let him throw the ball so much and that to my eyes, and I'm thinking to yours as well, the Georgia offense just looked so much different than it looked uh, you know, prior and previous to that. To me, that's what you need to know right there is that the Georgia coaches seem to know what they have and Daniels does give them a chance to, to, to be different here this year and, and be a little bit more of a prolific passing team they've maybe been in the past. 
Oh, I think so. I think so. I, I don't think you could go into a game uh, really one-dimensional. I still think you got to be able to run the ball with those horses that we have in the backfield, but you also got to be explosive in the passing game. You just look at the the, the teams that have won it. Uh, they have been very, very prolific in the passing game, and that scares people. Being able to throw the ball up and down the field scares people more than being able to run the ball up and down the field. And when you're able to do both, uh, that just brings a different dimension to an offense. Just look at LSU, look at Alabama, I mean, look at Clemson. Those teams have been able to do both very well. And now as a defensive coach, you have to try to take one away, and that scares defensive coaches more than anything. Do you think, and this is not always a pleasant topic for fans to consider, but I think it's probably worth mentioning here, do you think in the past, in recent years, there were some receiver recruiting targets for UGA who just didn't believe that was on the horizon, that, that maybe if a guy like Antwi sees more of an opportunity in the Georgia offense now, that that's actually a little bit of a change from where things have been, even as recently as the last couple of recruiting cycles where maybe some receivers just had their doubts about how they'd be used as a place like UGA. Because, I mean, let's, let, let's be honest, Georgia was effective running the football. They did have the big offensive lineman. That's been a recipe that's that's worked to the tune of a, of a good bit of success. The passing game has probably lagged a little bit in in light of all of that. I mean, do you think that has hurt Georgia with some receivers in the recent past? I, I would just take it to Alabama. Alabama's been known for, just like Georgia, having a big offensive line, kind of three yards in a cloud of dust, and Nick Saban kind of turned that offense over to, I think, probably Lane Kiffin first and yeah. so on and so on, and look at the receivers that they've gotten because of the productivity of that passing game. So they weren't getting these type of receivers before. Yes, the Julio Jones has come through, but to have five first-round picks in the, in the in one room at the receiving position because they saw the opportunity that they knew they was going to get the ball downfield in the way they was going to be used. And I think now uh, that Georgia is trending in that same direction, now you just got to go improve it on the field. Let me squeeze in one more on this topic really quick here for a moment. So if this Georgia offensive evolution is truly occurring, which of the Georgia receivers, and obviously you know a lot of these guys really well, but which of the Georgia receivers do you think stand to kind of benefit from that most? Because if JT Daniels, and we've said this on the show, if, if JT Daniels kind of has the, the year that the most favorable projections would suggest for him, that's obviously going to be good for a lot of these Georgia pass catchers there as well. Terrence, who do you think is set up most to maybe benefit from that right now? Uh, Jermaine Burton. I think he's the, you know, the most explosive uh, receiver that we have downfield threat outside of Arian Smith. But I just think Jermaine is a little bit more complete of a receiver than Arian. Uh, but I think Jermaine Burton, uh, and he's comparable to me, uh, to Jamar Chase. He's very similar to Jamar Chase. Uh, so I think he can have, not saying he's going to be Jamar Chase, but their their skill set is very similar. Um, so I think he could be the guy, especially with George Pickett's been out now, to be the guy that benefits the most. And I think uh, Eric is going to have an opportunity to uh, use his talent. I just think that the receiving core as a whole is going to benefit from them throwing the ball more downfield. And that is going to allow the running game to open up as well. I mean, you just think about Najee Harris. Uh, his his season is people don't even talk about his season because of what Devontae Smith did. And he had 25 touchdowns, I think, with 1,500 yards rushing. Uh, so the passing game will open up a lot of the other for their talent as well and the running game as well.
So I want to talk to you more about a big change that seems like it's on the rise in here for college football. We'll do that with Terrence Edwards coming in. But a moment before that, though, let me briefly mention this. You know, so many of you have reached out to me to say, B.A., boy, I really am enjoying something that you've been telling us about now for a while. I'm talking about the Finnish Long Drink, a great ready-to-drink beverage. It comes in a can, but it's not a beer. It's a it's like a ready-to-drink mixed-drink cocktail. It's amazing. You've got uh, multiple choices here. You can get the Long Drink Cranberry, which so many of the folks in Athens seem to be enjoying, or the Long Drink Strong. There's a Long Drink zero there's the original which i really kind of enjoy which comes in the blue can it's got that gin kick to it but it's also got the sort of citrus flavor kind of a grapefruit type taste this is the kind of thing that's been popular in finland going back to like the 1950s a part of the summer games there in helsinki then but it's been in america for now for a couple of years and it's in georgia now in fact if you'll check out this website thelongdrink.com you can find out where it is close to you whichever beverage store you go to or in some cases bars or whatever whatever you can kind of find where it is close to you ready to drink right out of the can a great partner for you wherever you're going this spring and summer check them out uh thelongdrink.com and you can find out a lot more about what a lot of our audience is really falling in love with the finished long drink great great drink a lot of fun here uh this summer make sure you check that out here today terrence something else that seems to be a lot of fun for a lot of college football players is the burgeoning name image likeness conversation and this doesn't really impact georgia as much because the state of georgia has already kind of passed its own nil law but now there's i guess recommendations coming down in the ncaa that would also give the states that haven't quite yet passed their own their own nil law to also allow their players to benefit from that by the schools themselves kind of making their own rules here the ncaa basically giving them the freedom to do that or at least suggesting that as a possibility here right now you're a former player had this been in place when you were playing at georgia you clearly would have had the opportunity to cash in on some of this kind of stuff you talked to a lot of future players and current players right now what is the mood right now around the the growth of name image likeness but also i guess kind of simultaneous to that the feeling that maybe some of the movement of you know congress supreme court things like that could even open the door for more compensation for players in the future what are players saying about that right now man it, it is starting not just with the players with the parents and in youth football they are starting to get brands and starting to get uh, logos for these kids as early as youth football. That, And it's just going to follow, follow them throughout their youth, middle school, high school, then college career. So it, it is a trickle-down effect, um, not just high school. It, it's trickle-down to the middle school and the youth football league. Um, and I think I, I need to go back and get a little a reimbursement for my time of not being able to cash in on all the autographs that I was able to sign for free so now. <laughs> but it, it, it is a uh, it is something I think is big for the student athlete. Um when I signed my letter of intent, I basically gave the university a uh, permission and owned my likeness for four years uh, while I was there and I think it's a good thing that now these athletes will be able to um have opportunity to sign their name that they that their parents gave them and not being able to have the NCAA or the university cash in on their likeness, not athletes to cash in on their own likeness. So, Terrence, one of the things I think is really valuable is I like to bring on voices on the show that are different from me because I don't want this show to be just an echo chamber for my own opinion. And, Terrence, like one of the things I have said here is, is that I'm a little skeptical of some of these changes. You know, I think that the radical way in which college football is evolving evolves at such a speed that I think it threatens the health of college football. And I'm trying to make my point, uh, you know, pretty clear on that. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious 
to hear from you about this though that when you bring in like more opportunities for name image likeness you mentioned autograph signings and you know you may talk about some endorsements things like that or maybe just one day just you know you know flat out you know cash payments I, I guess one of the things that concerns me a little bit is that the role of the coach would be lessened to, to, to a degree and all of a sudden you know more voices are creeping in and you know the SEC made a statement the other day where they talked about the role that advisors were going to play in all of this. And I do think the kind of advice you get as a player matters, and you got to be careful who you take that advice from. And I think that we vetted coaches for the most part, and we, you know, we certainly know that they have, you know, a lot of vested interest in making sure they're, you know, doing right by the players. But some of the advisors that may crop up in kind of a name image likeness world are, are, are people that we don't quite have as much public vetting for. Is there any part of you as kind of a former player or a guy that still has strong relationship with the current players, is there any part of you that's concerned about what I just described there? Uh, I, I'd say a small portion I am. Um, the biggest thing that I'm concerned about is when you refer to, you know, the coaches having uh, the authority over the players. And I, I always refer back to the professional ranks as, these guys are making a lot of money, and when they're fined fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, that doesn't bother them. But right. when you start playing with their playing time, that bothers a player more than you taking money away from, them, especially in the professional rank. So even if Terrence Edwards was there and, and making however much money on his personal likeness, if I'm not playing on Saturday because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm not disrespecting the coach, or I think I'm better than what I am, don't play him on Saturday and. That goes to now he can go to the transfer portal. Now you will have a lot. So it is a it is a slippery slope uh, to say, but I think we all would adapt. And at times, I to to me the transfer portal is a bigger issue than everything that you just said. Yeah. I, I don't I don't per, I don't per se like the tra transfer portal. Um, I don't like the kids being able to just change schools without some type of. Uh, repercussion sent out, maybe not sent out 50% of the season, maybe. But I just don't like the port of kids transferring. And if you get on a kid or coach a kid hard, he just jump in the portal and go to another team. That's the part I don't like. But the name, likeness, I earned that. I earned that by my play, by what I did. So I should be able to benefit off my own given name by my parents. No, I think that's a really strong argument, Terrence. I'm glad that you uh, made that. Let me squeeze this in really quick before we let you go. I, I talked earlier this week about the story of Jordan Davis, and to me this coincides with UGA recruiting a little bit because right now, Terrence, as you know, there's all this question about, hey, who are the elite defensive linemen that Georgia's going to get a chance to sign for the class of 2022? And at one point in time it seems like it was Bear Alexander. Now Alexander would seem to be you know, more likely to go to a place like Texas A&M. All of a sudden folks are talking about Walter Nolan or Travis Shaw or you know, whichever of the names you kind of want to mention. In, in light of all of this, and there are some big names that Georgia is in the mix for. And, and what I've said on the show is, Terrence, is that when you look at a guy like Jordan Davis, who's a former three-star, who shows up on preseason All-American lists, first-team All-SEC lists, you know, potential first-round pick for the uh, 2022 NFL draft, that when you look at a potential success story like that of a guy who not everyone was even sure was going to be a defensive lineman at the SEC level, who all of a sudden now has a chance to be among the very best defensive tackles in the entire country, if Davis goes out and plays the way this year that certainly seems to be possible for him, doesn't that take care of every unanswered question you have in recruiting after that? Because clearly the next generation of defensive linemen has got to be watching that pretty closely, right? 
Most definitely. I mean, you just think about the two D tackles that we have on the team right now with Devontae White and Jordan Davis. Both of those guys was not highly recruited, but it's going to be probably the two best that we have had in a long time. Man, we got a good trace guy here. His kudos. He, he is a developer. He's a coach. Uh, yes, I think he's recruited well. I don't, some people just go off the recruiting services, and we're not getting the five-star, the four-star. But when you can develop a kid to play as a five-star and a four-star in college, not off of high school, but in college, those are the guys that I want on my team. And I, would, and I love, and Trey Scott is one of the best defensive line coaches in America because he developed the guys that want to be Georgia Bulldogs. Terrence, uh, always strong stuff. I just really appreciate your perspective on UGA football, and I really appreciate the work. I talked before about the role that coaches play. You know, that's not just for the guys who are you know coaching on the sidelines on Saturdays. That's for the guys who are working with these players throughout the course of their development, and that's something, certainly something that you're doing in a very big way. That matters to me. I'm glad we have good men working on the next generation of uh, good men as well, and you're doing that with your personal wide receiver tutoring, your wide receiver academy. Tell folks how they can be a part of that. If they've got a son who wants to catch footballs at a high level, how can they get some of the training that you're providing? Uh, you can find me on all social media at Terrence Elwood's Wide Receiver Academy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Terrence, great stuff. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thart. We'll look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Fruit. So I'm glad we have a chance to hear from other perspectives. And I've obviously, you know, as I said before, expressed some skepticism about some of these changes that are coming to college football. But when you listen to Terrence make an argument there, he makes a pretty strong one. He says, listen, my name, image, and likeness is something I've earned. Like, whatever value my name has, that belongs to me. That shouldn't belong to somebody else. And frankly, I'm going to tell you right now, that's a very difficult thing to argue against. And when I look at some of the name, image, likeness stuff that's out there around college football, just inside the fishbowl of just that issue, I do sort of find it hard to be against, especially when you listen to the way it was described by Terrence Edwards there. But here's where like my skepticism kind of creeps in. You know, Think about a guy like Jay Billis. Many of you know Jay, the ESPN college basketball analyst, guy you know sort of sits there in a pretty big chair in terms of calling these college basketball games and also a very outspoken critic of the NCAA. The other day he had a tweet that said something to the effect of, when it comes to stuff like this, it's just commerce. It shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be complicated. And once again, at face value, a statement like that feels like it's very difficult to argue against. But when you start looking more deeply at all of this, it feels like what a guy like Billis is saying is actually an oversimplification of the situation. That who could be against commerce? Who could be against free market? Who could be against all that kind of stuff? And yet you're sort of left to wonder... Wait, is that really what's going on here? Because concurrent to a guy like Jay Bill saying that, there's also the Knight Commission, one of these sort of fancy pants think tank type, uh, you know, group of people, very you know, you know, well connected, well known, uh, well credentialed people, you know, kind of from the NCAA talking about how they like to see changes occur in college sports. This same week, Associated Presto does a story on this. They're talking about using all this as a way of kind of putting a cap on the compensation that coaches are earning right now. That that all of a sudden, hey, this is just commerce. This is just free market. Boy, sometimes when it, when you see the way in which you know some of the the most well connected people to college athletics are viewing the role of coaches in all of this, I think you're left to wonder. This actually sort of feels like the opposite of commerce. This sort of actually feels like the opposite of free market. It feels like we're not only trying to put a cap on the 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 compensation for coaches, 
but we're trying to reduce the role that coaches play in our society. Because, listen, there is something to be said for the strong authority figure who asserts that authority based on his expertise to make young people better. And in some respects, that sort of feels like it's sort of an out-of-style uh, idea in our in our current society. Uh, but I think the role of coaches at the college level, at the high school level, at the youth sports level, I think is still an incredibly, incredibly valuable thing. And the more we kind of allow, and Terrence said this really well, he says, I'm not that scared of name, image, and likeness, but I don't like the transfer portal. And I think that's a really interesting thing to hear Terrence say. Like, the more we allow these sort of outside forces to kind of creep in, and as Terrence said with his own words a moment ago, all of a sudden, if, I, if I'm going to coach a guy hard, if I'm going to have a high standard for accountability in this program, that player wants to then sort of dart away from my program and kind of jet into the transfer portal. I tell you, that doesn't feel like a that, that does not feel like a good step in the right direction for this sport if we're reducing the the ability that coaches have to influence players because there is no more tried and true mechanism for self-improvement for young people than to listen to a coach do what he says become a better man because of it that's the thing that works decade after decade now going on more than a century that's the thing that works and the more we kind of reduce the possibility that can happen for the next generation i think we're causing a problem and I think that's worth keeping in mind when it comes to all of that. Okay, I'm sort of off my show sheet. Let me let me let me start all over on all this again. So uh, there was a very another very interesting uh, kind of change that has been been kicked around with college football involving the 12 team playoff. And let me give you an update on all this uh, here just for a moment. So the college football playoff board of managers on Tuesday, it's going back a couple of days, approved a feasibility study of moving the college football playoff to 12 teams. Uh, so it looks like we're kind of moving forward here a little bit. Eventually, not it's not done deal yet. It's not kind of in the, uh, in the books yet. But it looks like we could be heading towards a direction of a 12-team playoff coming sooner now rather than later for college football. You know, this is one of those things that – you sort of get the impression that it is indeed about to happen. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't have so many specific details about exactly what the format's going to be. So there were more meetings about this this week. There were more um, there were there, there were there were more discussions about that this week, and we're kind of heading in that direction. It's not official. It's not done. But you certainly don't get any kind of impression that, that that's not going to be uh, the way that uh, college football is going on all of that. As far as the rest of our SEC through goes there for a moment, I talked about some of the name, image, likeness stuff there uh, on the heels of the Terrence Edwards uh, interview. So let me kind of move on to something else. I saw where Florida Athletic Director Scott, Scott Strickland has a very interesting schedule proposal on the table here where he'd like to see college football move in the direction of basically playing 11 Power 5 games each and every year. And I think this is kind of an interesting thing because Florida is one of those programs over the years that has probably had less of this than most teams do. Florida plays Florida State every single year. That is a state law mandated thing in the state of Florida. And because of that, for a long time, Florida has been one of these programs that has just been a little bit more resistant to some of the more high-profile non-conference series. They did play Michigan a couple of years ago, but that's not the kind of thing that they have done with regularity. But now you even have a, uh, an athletic director like Scott Strickland talking about what he wants to see the scheduling model be moving forward which I think speaks to something that Kirby Smart said now going on a couple of years ago that it's turned out to be true. And this is not just, you know, Georgia's show bragging about Georgia. I just think it's objectively correct and true that Kirby Smart's idea about the what he viewed at the time as the likelihood of playoff expansion, 
being a motivating force to now play tougher schedules each and every year. And Georgia goes out and starts scheduling the high profile, the Texases and all the big names. Oklahoma became eventually a part of that. Uh, more games against Clemson. you got Florida State coming up. You've got all these high-profile series. Eventually, it was even programs like Ohio State that Georgia's added. That all of that theory that Smart seemed to notice, identify, talked about very openly back during 2019, all of a sudden has now become essentially the the – you know that, that there's a carbon copy of that that exists at almost every other you know level now of college football where it, it certainly seems like that one of the latent benefits to playoff expansion may be tougher schedules, better schedules, more challenging schedules for all teams around college football. That's probably a pretty interesting thing to be able to see. One of the things we talked about on SEC Country Live yesterday, uh, maybe a little bit more trouble for Caden Salter here, the recent Tennessee quarterback signing, a guy that was suspended from the Vols program for a while because of an altercation uh, that took place on campus a few months ago, eventually reinstated, has now, I guess, allegedly been arrested again. Let me show you this from uh, one of the Knoxville news sources there, TV reporter uh, going on Twitter to say that two Vols football players face, this is uh, Cole Sullivan's his name, he uh, reports on Twitter that two Vols football players face misdemeanor charges uh, including drug possession after a traffic stop early Saturday morning near campus. He says one of those players was uh, freshman quarterback Caden Salter, who, as I said before, was just reinstated to the team three weeks ago. As I said on SEC Country Live yesterday, you know, we're kind of in a day and age now where a kind of a minor drug possession is not necessarily as big of a deal as it maybe at one time uh, was, whether it should be or shouldn't is a different discussion. It's just kind of not. However, in the case of Salter, knowing this comes shortly after a previous issue, it kind of kept him away from the Tennessee program. If you're Salter and you want to have, have a career there in Knoxville, this is probably the kind of thing you have to be a little bit careful about because there are like a half dozen quarterbacks on the Tennessee roster between two transfers, holdovers from the uh, Jeremy Pruitt era, uh, Salter not doing very much to ingratiate himself to new coach Josh Heupel. You almost have to kind of assume on that. Also, one of the things we meant to mention on yesterday's show and just kind of as it sometimes does slip through the cracks, Trayon Webb, former UGA commit, 2023 five-star athlete, has now pared down his group of finalists here, and he says, I'm going to be committing to one of these schools in August on CBS Sports, and you see Georgia there, you see Oklahoma there, you see Ohio State. So Webb, a former UGA commit, uh, now back on the open market for the class of 2023, and it's now kind of whittled it down to Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia. So Georgia kind of involved in a uh, big name here for that class of 2023, and as we, we kind of started the show by saying this, there is a lot of uh, activity right now around Georgia class of 2022 class of 2023 big time visitors a lot of guys naming finalists and it's nice to see Georgia kind of in the mix for all of this especially on the heels of a couple of high profile decommitments certainly that has not slowed down Georgia's recruiting efforts uh, whatsoever I want to show you this quick video for those of you who are watching online if you're listening uh, podcast I'll describe it to you so the other day Mississippi State had a thrilling victory against Virginia in the College World Series and it's actually been kind of a you know a wild time for these SEC teams in the College World Series you had what I guess Tennessee's now been eliminated but you had you know a kind of a weird victory for Vanderbilt where they kind of won on a wild pitch and the other night the thrilling victory for Mississippi State there against Virginia and you see the way that uh, uh, Mississippi State was greeted by Bulldogs fans. Our buddy Tom Hart, the SEC Network broadcaster, catched, caught this on video and shared it there online. And you just see the the mood that exists in this hotel lobby. First of all, it's kind of nice to have the College World Series back after not having that a year ago. There are a couple of sporting events like this where 
Uh, I think the appetite for them is going to be really great. The British Open in golf's a little bit like this. We didn't have a British Open last year, so with that coming up in a couple of weeks, there's a huge I think, appetite for that. There's no College World Series a year ago, so a big appetite for that. But the other thing you see is it's just the way these SEC teams that are lucky enough to be in Omaha right now are having such a good time. And I don't know if you're noticing this the way that I am, and maybe this is simply because of the fact we didn't have this event a year ago, but it seems like there's a lot of media coverage, a lot of, I guess, sort of evangelizing for college baseball right now in a way that would not have existed maybe a couple of years ago. This kind of seems to be a sport on the rise, and the SEC obviously seems to be in sort of the middle of that, and there's a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out, that you know, for a Georgia fan who thought his team maybe had a chance to be there a year ago, and obviously the, the, the season didn't even take place, you see these SEC teams having fun in Omaha right now. Certainly if you're a Georgia fan, you hope to see the Diamond Dogs in a situation like that here very soon. Of course, the softball team enjoyed Oklahoma City, hoping to see the baseball team get a chance to do that in their version of the sport here very, very soon. We'll make that your SEC through. And here on uh, the program, we like to close up the show each and every day, kind of the same way. We'll do a uh, Gator-Hater roll call where we kind of shout out those who love those lousy, stinking Gators. But sometimes we just like to have a little bit of fun there as well. And this is something I also mentioned yesterday on SEC Country Live. So our our friends over at uh, CFB Reddit, the uh, Reddit page for college football, had kind of noticed that in the latest edition of Madden, one of the rookie quarterbacks, former Alabama quarterback Mac Jones, that his likeness, we talk about name, image, likeness. I'm not quite so sure that Madden is all that familiar with uh, Mac Jones' name, image, and likeness. If you see this on video, uh, that's not quite what Mac Jones looks like. In fact, let me kind of give you an idea of what Mac Jones does look like side by side with this photo. Like, that does not appear to be the same person. If you're Mac Jones, you're going to be pretty disappointed about that all the way around. Madden can't get your face more correct than that. Nonetheless, that's our golden shoe winner for today. Gatorade, a roll call. How about a hundred and... 28 days from right now, 128 days from right now, Georgia goes back to Jacksonville. We think they get some revenge against the lousy, stinking Gators, and we can't wait to see that happen. It's our Gator-Hater countdown. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then. And on the podcast, I'm now the R.S. Andrews podcast. Cool down, air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric. You can trust R.S. Andrews to do all that for you. You're thinking air conditioning units this time of year, almost for certain. And just know that tired system that you have that you are worried about. It may not make its way through the rest of the summer. Well, you can get the peace of mind that you need, that it can still do the job that it's being tasked to do by getting your system tuned back up to factory fresh specs at rsandrews.com to find out more about that. That mega tune-up costs just $99 after all. That's a great savings. All right, a few comments. Some of this left over from the last couple of days. We've talked a little bit about the, you know, kind of the the end of amateurism or at least the desired wish to see that end by some people and we read some comments about this yesterday we'll read a few more yesterday including some kind of on a different vein than what we took yesterday montana dog writes in to say that i do think the name image likeness and other changes coming to college sports is long overdue i totally agree with the uh, justice kavanaugh statement that the ncaa is making millions off the backs of players and offering no compensation, unheard of, really. Kind of surprised that it has taken this long. The NCAA has no legs to stand on any longer and needs to do what's right for the athletes. So I guess my response to that is this, that while it is true, we've talked about this before, that there's really no kind of world equivalent to college athletics or, or, or the American idea of athletics connected academics. That's really the better way to say that, that the way in which America, we connect sports teams to schools that's not something that really exists anywhere else in the world in any kind of you know similar vein whatsoever. 
But in America, there are things like college sports, right? There's high school sports there as well. You know, high school sports is a thing where the players play for free and the coaches get paid. And the obvious difference is, is that a high school football coach in Georgia might make $100,000, which is a lot of money to a lot of people, but it's not the millions of dollars that college coaches make. Even in youth sports where you know there's still some revenue being generated in some of these instances because there's a uh, ticket to be paid, you know, a ticket that must be bought to enter the gym or the stadium or something like that, the, the, the field, at least in some cases, there's some version of that there. But it's the high school thing that's probably the better overall comparison where there is some revenue that's generated. Some of these high school football teams in Georgia make a little bit of money, and certainly the, the, the coaches make more money than the average person living in these towns but less money than the college coaches themselves. And so the question becomes, is the college situation a turnoff for people simply because it's more money than what's happening at high school? In other words, if you think the college players should get paid because the coaches make so much money, should the high school players get paid too? Um, I mean, I, you know, that, that's my one question, you know, kind of on that, that I don't see a huge problem with coaches getting paid, players not given the fact that the that the role that college exists to serve is the role of preparing the players the students that go through that go through it for the next phase of their life and i do realize that's a total out of fashion totally out of style belief that's not the kind of thing that's that's in style right now but i do believe that still matters even if that's not quite what's fashionable here today Montana Dog on a different subject says, concerning what the winning formula is when it comes to college football, we talked about this the other day about the fact that you know Georgia's blue chip ratio number at 80% is higher than I ever could have imagined it would be, but still a little bit below where Alabama is at 84%. And what I said was is that it seems like if you're Georgia, you can't expect to out Nick Saban, Nick Saban. So you have to have some sort of special sauce, some sort of you know, add on to the obvious elite talent that Georgia has if you want to expect to surpass Nick Saban at some point in time. So Montana Dog writes in to say, I have to say that Saban has been light years ahead of every other team for many years now. Sure, Bama recruits great talent, but I believe it's simply the winning attitude, the belief that you are the best that defines Bama football. That belief permeates the entire program. To me, that's the biggest difference between Bama and all the other programs. I mean, Alabama has to replace coaches almost annually, so it's better coaching in that sense that makes Bama the best. And development can only take you so far. Uh, recruit the best players and put them in the in the best you know uh, chances to win and so i think there's an interesting statement to be made on the heels of that i think one of the things i have come to believe is is that the role of coaching in college football actually matters a lot more than i at one point in time considered that at one point in time i would have assumed well if you give any coach the best players that team was going to win more no matter who was the best X's and O's expert when it comes to coaching. I, I just, at one point in time, as recently as maybe say four or five years ago, I just would have assumed that the only thing that mattered was amassing the most talent possible and that the entirety of Alabama's success could be explained by the huge talent advantage they had cultivated for their program and the gap that existed between them and almost everybody else. But as Montana Dog kind of points out right there, that the more you see Alabama not just beating up on lesser talented teams, but also finding that edge to beat Georgia. And I hate to bring this up, but it is true. You know, pulling away from Georgia in the second half of the last three games these teams have played. First half in 2017, the national championship game, 2018, the SEC championship game, and this past, past October in Tuscaloosa. 
it seemed like Georgia could very easily be on its way to a win. And in all three of those instances, Alabama found the extra edge of the second half of those games. In some way, somehow, you do have to credit coaching for that a little bit, don't you? It just sort of seems like that you probably would, that there is some sort of competitive edge or or um, very polished from a from a fundamental standpoint or something. There does seem to be some element of coaching at a place like Alabama that goes beyond just the incredible talent. And I have come to believe that's a bigger part of this than maybe at one point in time I thought it might be. A few more comments. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting from my dog, Ryan. And I actually mentioned this briefly on SEC Country Live yesterday about the Lane Kiffin tweet about uh, Kirby Smart. And I said that Georgia fans kind of rolled their eyes at that. Well, what my dog, Ryan, writes back in the comment section is, I don't think we are rolling our eyes at that. He says, if anything, it's nice to have a coach having some fun with other coaches in the league. He says it's a good change from the serious Saban tree of coaches who never seem to have fun. I mean, hate him all you want, talking about Lane Kiffin, but you have to miss Spurrier sometimes in his crazy antics and quotes. I think that's kind of interesting. And I do think when you look at the coaches that have won national championships around Nick Saban in recent years, there is Dabo Swinney at Clemson, who's not quite like Lane Kiffin, but certainly not like Nick Saban. If we think of Nick Saban as ultra-serious at all times, Dabo Swinney kind of casts a little bit different shadow than that. Ed Orgeron, who won the 2019 National Championship, is also an example of that as well. Someone who's just a little bit more willing to kind of show off some personality than sometimes that Nick Saban wants to make as a part of his public persona. So I don't necessarily agree with my dog Ryan on that because I think that Lane Kiffin's way of expressing that makes him seem lesser as a coach, not just different, but actually lesser. Uh, but the idea that finding a way to express your personality, finding a way to have some fun, using that as a way of drawing a contrast between you and Saban, I don't think that's a bad idea, and I'm glad that my dog Ryan brought that into the conversation. Stone also weighs in, responding to Mountain Dog, saying you raise an interesting question about winning a national championship or not winning one. He says Saban's created a culture at Bama that Kirby has been unable to do at this point. You see it in a lot of little ways, like players not opting out, uh, players returning to improve their draft position and improve the team, player commitment and development. In the time that Saban's been the head coach, he's had 47 assistant coaches leave his staff. That's a very interesting stat, which averages out to about three per year, and yet he managed to put a very competitive team on the field year in and year out. Most of those coaches move on to better positions. He said, I do feel like this is Kirby's year. Everything lines up through a breakthrough for a breakthrough. He says, I hope I'm correct because going forward, it's going to become more and more difficult. I think that's interesting from Stone there as well. And I've seen people make this comparison before. In fact, I think we talked about this on one of my vacation shows last week, that when you see the way in which just a few assistant coaching departures from LSU has caused that program to suffer. Dave Aranda's not defense coordinator anymore. Joe Brady's obviously moved on on the offensive side of the ball. And last year in 2020, LSU just was not the same team without those coaches, that it actually makes what Alabama has endured cycling through coaches year after year actually all the more amazing, that there is somehow this culture that is maintained even as you cycle through coaches and Alabama has made that look really easy but in reality it's probably not as easy as they've made that look and I think that Stone brings a pretty good point from that we've had really good comments uh, related to all of this Dallas dog also weighs in to say you made some good points Montana dog he says, as I've said before, and I'll say forever, the narrative and course of the University of Georgia football program, including the legacy of Coach Kirby Smart, would have been permanently altered to a 
University of Alabama-like trajectory if not for the faithful second and 26, saying that Georgia let an opportunity slip away there that day. He says, you make that one play, win that one game, and I'm absolutely convinced that people from the media, other coaches, recruits, fans, would be talking with the dominance of Georgia now instead of Alabama. People will say, get over it or move on, but every summer we find ourselves chasing and talking about what Bama already has, both on and off the field. Dallas Dog goes on to say, until we actually win a national championship, that play will remain the most significant play in UGA history since Baluda Scott in 1980, Go Dogs. I think that's strong language, but I think it's to a degree correct that at the time, and I've talked about this in the show before, at the time I probably shrugged it off maybe more than I should of, oh, boy, that's a heartbreaker, but Georgia's not going anywhere. In fact, Kirby Smart said after that game, hey, we're not going anywhere. We plan to stick around here for a while. And Georgia has. Georgia remains a legit top-shelf national championship contender. But it is true that Georgia was so close to winning a national championship and that when you have an opportunity that slips through your fingers like that, even if it seems to, that was only Smart's second year as Georgia coach, even if it seems to be coming sooner than you could have anticipated it having come, when you have a chance to take advantage of that, life is about maximizing those opportunities. And I still believe that Georgia will eventually be back where they were and they'll eventually get that national championship. But there is no question, as uh, Dallas points out there, that the entire conversation around the program would have been way different if that had gone different. Um, Doggo one says Smart and Kiffin are good friends. He was just having a little fun with Kirby, and that's probably true. Uh, I don't think most Georgia fans were too bothered by it too bothered by it one way or another going back to the tweet from Lane Kiffin but good comments all the way around we appreciate you being a part of those with us here on the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down today make sure you check out R.S. Andrews online air conditioning heating plumbing electric they'll show up on time they'll do the work that's promised the price that's promised story after story they've been delivering smiles and they will deliver a smile for you so find them online at rsandrews.com have a great day I look forward to seeing you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Thorpe can't wait to see you then